Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Santa is almost on his way and we're all sitting here in festive New Zealand looking forward to the rest of the summer of cricket. We did have three series going on. Unfortunately, South Africa, England has been the first international series cancelled due to COVID once it's begun. We are going to talk about that in a little bit of detail as well as New Zealand West Indies test series underway and of course the white ball stuff in Australia against India. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Raj, I'm going to throw to you for England, South Africa. We want to talk a number of things, but should we start with the uh, with the money ball, with the signs coming out the dressing room windows? Yeah, I found that really interesting, actually, the signs. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to throw it to you guys and find out your thoughts on it, whether it crosses some kind of line. So just, just to recap on it, there was a... Uh, I don't know if it was a assistant coach or somebody like that. Who was Nathan Lehman, whose nickname is Numbers, Numbers and he's the England Numbers. team analyst and um, I think the white ball analyst. So they, they have a red ball analyst as well now. So what he was doing was putting a number and a letter uh, on the uh, on the side of the the field there or on the pavilion, uh, just indicating to players on the field. I'm assuming that's uh, Owen Morgan. Certain matchups and certain things that should be happening maybe in the next over so for example they'd put up like a 2c where a 2 would relate to a bowler and a c would relate to a field set or something like that are you sure they're not chess moves knight to queen's bishop three <laughs> no, no crossword clues <laughs> thoughts on it guys i'll throw it a big c first um look i think um it's gone on before so i think um it, it's gone on in some of the franchise tournaments around the world. And I think Owen Morgan's been involved in that as a captain as well with this kind of information. I think if we look at it logically, how many times has a pair of gloves been run on? How many times has a drink been run on? How many times have notes been written on water bottles down at fine leg for a bowler? Um, not that many bowlers would actually be able to take in that kind of written information and use it in a coherent sense. Sorry to all the bowlers out there. Um, but yeah, keepers and batters are the brains of any cricket team. We always know that. Um, but just, look, we'll just ignore that. Carry on. Yeah. But look, I, I, I don't think it's a massive deal, to be perfectly honest, uh, particularly if it relates to the fact that they are trying to get some real-time information that the guys have gone over in a lot of their pre-match plans and, and sessions, and it's just a little bit of a reminder to perhaps take the emotions out of your captaincy decision and go with a set plan or just a, a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of a nudge. I don't see a massive I don't see a massive issue with it. The the other thing I'll throw in there as well is if it helps overrates, you know, if they can get that kind of messaging out there without having to have, you know, someone come on with, you know, the fourth drink of the over, then that's got to be a good thing because um, it's going on. So why not let it be visible? I, I'm going to take it even further. I think it's awesome. I like if you think about uh, you know like rugby lineout calls and things like that are going on, and, and other teams are trying to predict the lineout calls, and, and you know, it wouldn't it be great for fans if we're getting to see these and we can try and figure out what's going on. You're going to have other teams trying to, you know, trying to figure out the calls. I think it just adds another element because you're getting the tactics in real time and you're seeing it. There's no real downside for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to back to you guys. Another point of view. We always talk on this podcast about how we we think captains should be thinking on their feet, watching the game, making those decisions, not just watching analysts or footage before a game. This completely takes it out of the game. Owen Morgan's gone as far as saying 
this is how we want to do it going forward. We want to do it for a set amount of time and see if it makes a difference in, in our performance. At the end of the day, he's a World Cup winning captain. He is a very knowledgeable cricketer. Why should his decision making be taken out of the game? Well, is it being taken away? Like that, that I would be disappointed if he doesn't have the right to just override things with his personal thoughts. Um, because I completely agree with you. You don't want to just rule everything by some analyst has gone through and done all the matchups, and then you actually get a feel. Oh, actually, you know, Stuart Broad's bowling great right now. I'm just going to keep him on. He'd have to probably be in the white ball stuff first, but you know, same kind of thing. He'd, you know, you'd have to want him to just take charge whenever he thinks something's going on. Baldy, you're very quiet. What do you think? Look, I don't have a problem with it. They cleared it with the match referee. So they spoke to the match referee before the game and said, this is what we're planning to do. Is that okay? And the match referee said, yep, no problem. Go for it. So I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. I hope that it doesn't mean that captains think less on their feet. Mm. That's the only negative potential outcome from something like this is that captains are even more captained by numbers than we have seen in the past. You know, if we think about deep point as the go-to captaincy by numbers manoeuvre, I just don't want to see any more of that. If it means that coaches and analysts can get that information faster to players, as you pointed out, Adam, that speed up over rates, I'm all for it. I don't have a problem with it at all. It is interesting just thinking back to some of the conversations we had earlier, even with David Hussey when he was talking about how those matchups and things, and that obviously is coming a massive part of particularly T20 cricket when he was saying, you know, he went to the, went to the IPL and suddenly kind of realised Brendan McCullum had all of these different matchups that, and they were just, you know, they would, you know, Noreen, come, uh, Spinner comes on, Noreen, you go out and smash it now. And like, yeah, you don't want to get to that level. So I, I completely agree on that point. Yeah, I mean, I've been quite negative about it, but personally I actually think it's a good thing for the game. Uh, if We're very pro-American sports on this podcast and that's what they do. They've got a coach who calls the players in football, mm. but those people who are, you know, elevated to GOAT status, people who see what's in front of them and play it. So I hope we don't lose that from the game, that's all. Yeah, look, I don't think we will as long as we've got captains like Owen Morgan in the game and, and captains like Rohit Sharma in the game who are going to take that information and it will be part of their decision-making process. Where it becomes dangerous is where essentially there's someone captaining from a computer, from the balcony and, and going through all of those things. I think there's got to be still that ability to think on your feet. I think we'll see it more in the T20 game than we will anywhere else. I don't really see it infiltrating test cricket too much where I think there's got to be a little bit more feel for the way that a passage of play is going and being able to potentially set a plan with a little bit more patience. But I think as well, it just adds to that spectacle as well. You know, if you stick, you know, WY6 and, you know, people are thinking, oh, that's wide hole Yorker on the sixth ball. <laughs> and actually you've gone for the bluff and it's the, you know, slower ball bounce on the first one. <laughs> it's going to just add to the fan experience as well for you kind of guessing what might be going on as well. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great option. Do you think that there is a potential for for corruption? Absolutely. And that's the other thing that really makes the game interesting as well, isn't it? There's always that. <laughs> Before we get ourselves in trouble here, let's, I guess, move on to the thing that we probably hoped we weren't going to be talking about. But, you know, this you mentioned it before, this tour is now cancelled. The bubble has been breached and, you know, two members of the England squad, I think, have, have tested positive, unconfirmed. It was sort of very strange reporting, you know, nothing that definite. But essentially, the, the tour is off now. I guess my point is, 
we've had so much drama in South African cricket and it just won't stop. What What is going on? How are they going to recover? Because they've got a test series, I think, against Sri Lanka about to start and at the end of December. I mean, this is just a real problem. Well, well the knock-on effects of this are, are huge, aren't they? As you mentioned, Sri Lanka coming to South Africa, England then going to Sri Lanka and Australia due to visit South Africa as well. So potentially you've got a situation where teams might not want to go to South Africa. England might then not want to go to Sri Lanka if Sri Lanka have been in South Africa. Mm. Australia, as we know, have been pretty strict with the COVID situation like we have here in New Zealand. So you can't see them wanting to go to South Africa in the very near future. Reports are that there isn't going to be vaccination on a widespread basis in South South Africa until the middle of 2000. Um, and 21 so look I, I think that the, the key here it's too early to understand where these potential cases have come from there's a lot of conjecture that um, the finger was pointed at the England team because they wanted to go and train in the nets at the ground because they weren't happy with the center wicket facilities that they were given apparently their seamers couldn't bowl on that wicket because um, it was dangerous for the batter so they wanted to move I can't see and this is yeah potentially a bit of English bias here but I can't see a country that has been so strict with those biosecure bubbles at Old Trafford um, and at the Aegeus Bowl um, in Southampton not having thought through the ramifications of going to another part of the ground. I think that they would have put in the right kind of protocols. Um, so how this case or these cases have come about, we don't know just yet. But I can't think England would have you know, knowingly put themselves into that. And I think South Africa don't have the cash to potentially have a, a good enough quality biosecure bubble and therefore I think the ICC have potentially got to step in and say we have to fund these things if we want international cricket to take place. There's a lot of finger pointing isn't there both both sort of camps but uh, look it goes back to what we were talking about where if you if, you, if your back office or front office is not is not operating to an optimal level that's reflected on the field. Well, this is sort of the intermediary bit between that. Mm. I feel like there may have been a few steps missed. Don't know whose side it's on, but the fact is that no one can give us a succinct, brief, accurate timeline of people's movements and what they were doing uh, shows that they weren't really being tracked closely enough uh, as a whole. Uh, but look, what brings you, what you said is completely right, that at the end of the day, there has to be some standardised protocols put forth. Maybe they're not, stringent enough or maybe they're not being handed down with enough, I don't know what I'm looking for here, but enough sort of strictness. Yeah, and look, I know that the game has suffered financially over the course of the last nine months or so, but surely that kind of standardisation has to come in. South Africa have said, you know, we don't have the money to test our professional cricketers regularly enough. If that's the case, then... That, for me, has got to be where the ICC go. Well, you're playing in an internationally sanctioned series here that's part of the qualification for an ICC tournament. And let's be honest, a 1,000 COVID tests, that, that's chicken feed for them to be able to provide that, to provide the safety for the players, which, after all, are your product, your entertainment product. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's sort of got me thinking about uh, even... I guess it's just another example of how things are just not a level playing field across the nations because, you know, you look at countries like Ireland who, were, you know, it was costing them money to put on a test match 
and you know that's impacting hugely on their ability to grow the game there and, and play test cricket so I mean I, I don't know enough about the financial side of things to and how the ICC funds all this stuff but yeah it's 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 problematic when not everyone is on the same level just on uh the ramifications you, you touched on all the series before but we've also got the big bash starting pretty soon We've now got, because of these bubbles, and, and I guess because of England, I'm sure some of it is because of the way this, this tour has ended now. Uh, a few of Quite a few of the English players are now out of that big bash competition, which obviously impacts on that. It's very difficult for those clubs as well to just suddenly find someone. Baldy, you've got a few names in front of you. Who's pulled out of that tournament? Yeah, so the latest guy to pull out is England all-rounder Tom Curran. So he was scheduled to play again for the Sydney Sixers this year. Uh, he's uh, withdrawn from the BBL, needing uh, citing the need to spend some time at home. So this is from Alex Malcolm from the Crick Info Press. So that comes, across, of course, on the back of Tom Banton uh, earlier in the week withdrawing from the IPL. He, of course, plays for the Brisbane Heat. Um, so a few of those clubs have had some challenges getting their overseas guys um, to commit and to, and to stay committed to uh, playing in the Big Bash tournament this year. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty for those guys coming across from the England tour. And there are more that are scheduled to come. So Sam Billings, Jason Roy, Liam Livingston and Lewis Gregory, all due to come from South Africa to Australia to play for various Big Bash franchises. And it's resulted in a few unusual kind of overseas picks. So Johan Botha has come out of retirement yeah. at 36 for the Hobart Hurricanes, so he's going to go around again this year. Mornay Morkel's going to turn out for the Heat, surprisingly, as a local yeah, player, so he qualifies as a local presence now. So the big, tall timber for the Brisbane Heat will get some bounce out of that Gabba deck when they get back up there. But, I mean, there's a, a number of players who are, are in trouble as well. Mujibu Rahman, another Heat player, he's in Brisbane Hospital as we speak, um, ill with COVID-19, so he's been quarantined there. Um, some of the West Indians have benefited. Haven't they? They've been picked up by a couple of Yeah, teams. on short-term Andre deals. Fletcher, yeah, great here, great batsman. Looking forward to it. Yep, I think Jason Holder's got a short-term deal waiting for, for one of those one of those players to come in from quarantine as well. Nicholas Puran, we've already touched on, I think, has mm. has got a deal with uh, with the Stars for a bit there. Well, it's yes. a really difficult situation, isn't it? This kind of short-term issue. You know, we've had announcements of vaccines and things like that, which are going to take some time, but... The pressure being put on these players, and as Bordy's alluded to, with you know Banton and Curran pulling out, um, and they're not the first to have pulled out for mm. these kind of reasons from from these kind of tournaments. Those England players that you talk about that will be travelling out to the Big Bash, if there is uh, you know positive cases within that England camp, that's going to impact in one way or another. Whether those players are the ones that might have tested positive themselves, they might be having to have time in isolation in South Africa and then still do, I think, is it 14 days when they get to Australia as well? Mm. Yep, so that's, that's what they need to do at the moment. 14 days in isolation before being able to play. So Dawood Milan arrived in Australia at the weekend. Yeah. So he travelled early after the T20s. He didn't stick around for the ODI, so he's got a few days head start. But the rest of those guys will, will have to do quarantine. But some of them are going to say, nah, don't want to do that. If they've got to do 10 days in South Africa, then 14 days when they get to... Australia, they might just say, now nah, flag that. 24 days, you know, sitting in a hotel room. And um, coming off the IPL as well. Off so. the IPL, I'm at skip, thank you. Mm. And then that comes down to probably the TV rights conversation again around the product and, and whether or not it's what was paid for by the host broadcaster as well. So lots and lots of ramifications for um, something that really, as we've said a number of times this year, is unprecedented. 
Oh yeah, and we and I, th- I think that's enough of talking about that, isn't it? Let's let's wrap up this series and uh, and talk about the rest of these two series that are going on and, and exciting. But I'm sure we Raj will want to swish. We want to yeah. swish. Yeah, Let's have a swish. We'll be back. <laughs> so we're back after the swish. That did actually give us time to discuss some new segment ideas for the show. So we are going to have an all-time Mount Rushmore for facial cricket or cricketing facial hair coming up. We might even extend that to Doug the rug Bollinger and some of the advanced hair studio guys as well. But on a serious note, let's talk New Zealand West Indies, a dominant display from the black caps on a pitch that, yeah, was indistinguishable from the outfield at the start of the game. But um, the runs were certainly racked up by the black caps boys. Lippy. Oh, well look, you, you started it uh, by mentioning that segment and, and that segment uh, came about because you mentioned Kane Williamson. And I think that's the place to start here, right? I mean, We've gone, you've, you've touched on the pitch that everyone went, oh, okay, this is a definite bowl first pitch. It's it's going to move around, all that kind of stuff. Kane Williamson and Tom Latham, I don't think he should be forgotten out of this. They just put on an absolute class performance on how you bat in New Zealand. Um, New Zealand pitches are, are often difficult to start. And Williams, both Williamson and Latham talked about that, but just the patience they showed. I mean, Raj, you watched that whole first session, I think, ball by ball live. I did. I was really impressed with Tom Latham. I think we, we've put the spotlight on him a couple of times over his last few years, but the way he batted on that pitch was was incredible. And just like you mentioned, typical New Zealand pitch, it also doesn't move as much as you think it will. That's 100% correct. Yeah, you, 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 can't, you can't be more correct. I think opposition teams coming to New Zealand have a look at a green deck and think this is going to do the same thing that it does everywhere else in the world. And it moves about all over the place and it's got lots of grass on it and it'll be a bowling paradise. New Zealand have been able to sucker teams for a little while now coming into New Zealand and thinking that it's going to do that. And it actually plays a lot better than you think in all grounds in New Zealand, from club level right up to test level. And New Zealand were able to make the best of of the difficult start that they had. And then Kane just plays a different game to everyone else. He's on a different level. In, in saying that, though, it, it wasn't an easy pitch to bat on. And I think and I think we have to understand that and appreciate that. And, like, yeah, what, what you said about Kane, I mean, Kane, is, he's just unbelievable, that guy. I mean, it, it really is. Like, you know, I mean, he, he is now, I, I think you have to say he is our best batsman ever. I mean, and, and it's just a privilege, I think. We're going to look back at this time and go, look, we saw his whole career and he's just, uh, you know... I, the sky's the limit for really what he can continue to produce. Yeah, he, he, he is batting really, really well at the moment. And he's scoring big runs as well, not just getting that 100. Um, I was really impressed with how he batted. Batted West Indies completely out of the game. The tempo's really nice is what I liked. You know, you, we talked about it a lot in the IPL, about how he is someone that can just come in and kind of adapt to the situation. He was able to do that really well in this innings and in that he, him and Latham left the ball a lot. They left the ball a lot, but... Every time there was a little window of opportunity, like the West Indies would bring on uh, a spinner just before, you know, before the the break, or they would try something. Kind of that, you know, they brought Craig Brathwaite on for an over, and at the end of one of those sessions, and it's sort of a weird captaincy thing that they go, oh, okay, we've got to try the spinner or try someone for an over. Williamson hit two boundaries off that over. It's like, you know, I'm not going to just let you try this thing that probably isn't a good idea. I'm going to actually cash in at these moments and and take those opportunities. And he did that such so well throughout that innings. The thing for me, it was such a weird-looking scorecard. I think I, I texted you guys on our, our Slack channel. When you've got a guy who scored nearly half the runs in the innings, um, you know, next top score, we, we mentioned Latham batting really well for 86. But then it's Jameson down the order with a 50, and there isn't another 50 in that 
total extras actually 47 runs being uh, the the fourth uh, innings top scorer so it's a we- really weird scorecard for the amount of runs that New Zealand have made in that first innings and yeah as you say not only that beard which you know is up there with Coley and Jadeja as we've said in the little um off uh, off air stuff it, you know absolutely monumental batting from Kane did did the West Indies miss a trick I mean you know I, I've watched as much as I could of that but you know, Raj, ball by ball, did they miss a trick in that first session? So I was gonna, I was actually gonna liken that pitch to. I don't know if you remember Colin de Grandhomme's debut mm. when he played against uh, Pakistan. He took six for mm. in that first couple of sessions. I feel like that pitch was very similar. It might have been a bit softer, but it was very similar in that. But the difference is Colin de Grandhomme just bowled really, really full. I think the West Indies were just a little bit short of a length, whereas they needed to be full of a length mm. to get them coming forward and mm. giving them less time. You could see with Latham, he wasn't pushing at any of the balls. He would rock back, rock back and just cushion that ball into his bat or he'd push forward slightly. There was no pushing at the ball, mm. which is the key to batting on his own pitches like that. Yeah, 100%. And it's no surprise that the two guys who play the latest in the New Zealand batting order, i.e. play the ball under their eyes the most, are the two guys who cashed in on that wicket. Anyone who pushed forward out in front of their pad was caught out, and we saw that in the West Indies team. You know, it's no surprise that the guys who nicked off, nicked off having bat well out in front of pad and, you know, created quite healthy chances behind the stumps. What I really, you know, I'm really, really, really pleased that we batted first in that game Mm. because that's the thing. You know, you mentioned that everywhere else in the world, they look at that pitch and go, oh, okay, this is why New Zealand's great because... They, you know, they just pick these bolt. You know, we've got these great bowlers that can swing the ball around in our conditions. We put sides in, we knock them over, and then we win the game. It, it wasn't that wasn't the case. You know, we had to work really, really hard. Yes, yes, our team is incredibly well suited to our conditions, and and I think every single player that spoke about it afterwards, you know, even the bowling attack, the, the Southie and, and Bolt, those guys know how to bowl in these conditions. And you touched on bowling full. We have two, you know, expert swing bowlers that can bowl in our conditions and actually utilise the the difficult moments for New Zealanders. So, Southie's actually someone I think we should really talk about here because Mm. I think probably all of us, maybe not Raj, because Raj has been saying that we should just pick the the, uh, incumbents the whole time, but, uh, you know, probably a year ago I was thinking Southie actually, maybe he's, you know, if we're looking to get Ferguson in here or Jameson in here, someone, one of these guys... and, and. Saudi to me was the one that, you know, possibly was the one that was going to be dropping out. But time and time again over these last nine months in our test cricket, he's been really, really superb. And, and you know, I, I heard him say he's he's about to turn 32, which I I think he's been around for so, so long. But, 30, you know, he's he could still play for another four or five years at, at a good level. You know, you look at someone like Anderson and Broad and over to you, Binksy. I mean, those guys are just doing the job. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think you kind of can't underestimate the pairing. And and that's the thing with England as well, with Broad and Anderson. They've got a pair of bowlers who know each other's strength. They know how to bowl in a partnership. They're not necessarily out there for that individual glory. They know that one day it's going to be them that gets a fifer. And that, you know, the other day it's going to be, you know, they're doing the hard yards potentially into the wind. So I don't think you can underestimate that partnership piece there. But what it does do, and especially with someone like Wagner to follow them up, it allows, and I know we want to talk about him, it allows someone like Jameson to come in and not have that pressure on him and deliver the kind of spells he did in this test match as well. And boy, was he impressive as well. They were all really impressive. I'm really I'm really pleased to see them all taking part in taking wickets. 
Wagner for me again. He's gone up. What he's ranked two in the world now in test test match bowling, uh, and he's the one who gets the least plaudits out of those those bowlers. So I don't know where I'm going to go with this. Well, that's all right. That I'll, I'll go. I'll I'll go because Neil Wagner bowled full. He yeah, bowled full and he attacked the stumps. He just didn't have that same trick that we're used to seeing from Neil Wagner on flat pitches. He recognised the value of bowling full and New Zealand did a great job of making the adjustment to bowl a fuller length. West Indies did too. After those first couple of sessions, they actually figured it out and actually bowled reasonably well at New Zealand and New Zealand did well to keep them out. But Wagner and Jamison bowled full of a length and were able to hit the stumps and, you know, Jamison bowled, uh, I think it was Kimar Roach, but also Bravo with yeah, full length and, and went straight through the batters. So excellent adjustment for those guys to adjust their plans to the nature of the wicket. Well, Wagner, I mean, you know, he probably doesn't get enough credit. You know, he gets enough credit for that. He gets – people are pleased with how he bowls that short and, you know, kind of has figures people out and attacks their weaknesses and things. But I don't, I don't think he gets enough credit for the fact that he's obviously figured that out in his head. This is my best way to attack. Because mm. when he burst onto the New Zealand first class scene, that's all he mm. did. He just ran in and bowled like big in-swinging Yorkers mm. and knocked knocked everyone's castle over. I mean, yeah, that's how he used to get all his wickets in first class cricket. Mm. Should we change tack? Where to for the West Indies from Sorry, here? Sorry, just, got before, one, before just we go. one more thing. I do want to point out uh, the coaching and management. I think they made two really really bold and important decisions. One, playing the, the seamers or the seamers and not playing the spinner. I don't think a spinner would have been effective uh, in, in that in that in on that pitch in those conditions, and the seamers did the job. Uh, and also enforcing the follow-on. Mm. I know it seems like a no-brainer, but in, in cricket these days, everyone goes, oh, go and have a little bat and make sure they're batting in the fourth inning, make sure the opposition are batting in the fourth innings. But that's when the pitch would have actually probably been the best to bat on in the fourth inning. So I think those two decisions were really... Bold decisions, and they turned out really well. And before you move to the West Indies as well, Jameson, we touched on him a little bit before with his bowling, the the point of difference that he adds. But his batting, you you know, you mentioned the fifty. If he can become a number seven batsman in Test cricket, oh man, that this is just going to open up so many options for that New Zealand Test side, because you know we we've always been saying we really want these four seamers to play. You know they they at the moment in our home conditions they. They are our best four bowlers, right? Even if you want your spinner to play, if you want a spinner to play, you would think that a Jamison or you know whoever it's going to be is going to be more effective in New Zealand conditions than an AJS Patel or Mitchell Santner or, or whoever on our pitches. It's it's been proven over the last three or four years. But if Jamison can bat seven and have those four seamers, and you can still have a spinner, or you could play Conway an extra batter. Or you could, there's, there's just, so, you know, we could play Lockie and have five five seamers and just have this unbelievable seam attack. It, it, yeah, if he can develop his game to that level, it's really, really going to push New Zealand over the edge. West Indies, let's talk about the West Indies. Where to from here for the West Indies? They've really struggled at the back end of the Test Series against England with a bat. Jermaine Blackwood has been a bit of a highlight for them in terms of their batting, but they've really struggled to put on big scores, particularly batting first. Their bowlers haven't been able to dismiss New Zealand on a on a pretty good, you know, wicket to bowl on, we thought. Where to from here for the West Indies for the rest of this series? What can they do to change the flow and the momentum of their re- their previous three test performances? Oh, look, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want this to sound really cocky, but I think they're going to have a pretty hard time in the second test. I mean, you've got Kemar Roach already on the way home back, back to the West Indies. You've got Dowrich out, which actually is exciting 
in that sense that potentially we're going to have two debutants play. You, um, it looks like maybe Chamar Holder will play and Joshua De Silva, who's someone we've we've talked about before, is, is potentially an exciting prospect for them. So, you know, that that's an exciting thing. But, yeah, I, I think they're going to really struggle to just the way that they they went about things i you know that's that's probably the first thing they're going to have to change is that they didn't really apply themselves particularly in that second innings there was a lot of loose shots and and you just can't play that way in new zealand when the ball's seeming around like that yeah look i think they've i guess struggled to acclimatize quickly and we're gonna we've talked about this a lot on the podcast particularly with um look covid aside you don't get a lot of time to get up to speed with you know two or three warm-up games going into a test series you normally almost straight off the plane and you know you've got to do really really well to get yourself into a game the one thing i would say about the west indies though and they proved it against england in the summer they've got some fight and they've got some courage mm. um, and they've shown that and i think they've, they're very very well captained by jason holder so whilst i agree that i think you know, you know new zealand are absolute favorites to wrap this series up and probably you know would want to do it in a convincing style i wouldn't completely write off a bounce back performance from the West Indies. The one thing I think I might change, Roston Chase was pretty ineffective, I think, with the ball, went at, um, over four and over, didn't really hold an end up. So, you know, does someone like Raheem Cornwall come into the reckoning? He's a better spinner for me. Um, yes, a more attacking option potentially. Maybe it offers a little bit less with the bat than Roston Chase, um, but that might be an option um, for their attack. Um, and yeah, look, Joshua De Silva looked good when he came on and sub-kept in that England series. I just hope he's packed the long sleeve shirt this time because um, if he rocks up into that test match with a short sleeve sh- shirt, we'll have to revoke his uh, wicketkeeper's union membership. Yeah, um, I think I think the West Indies will struggle. I mean, with the base and reserve comes a whole nother set of of hurdles to, to, to leap over with the wind. And I, I assume that the pitch will be in a similar sort of vein to the one in Hamilton, probably a little bit tad less green. But you're right, they're going to need someone who's going to be able to charge into that wind, whether it's a spinner or, or, or a bowler, some kind of workhorse, which I don't know who that is. Uh, it's probably Holder himself, probably actually. Holder, yeah. yeah. So th- that, those are the things that they have to overcome. Those are the things they have to overcome on top of the fact that they didn't seem equipped to, to bat on that pitch. Uh, at Hamilton, so yeah. and Kamal Roach, but really big loss as you mentioned as well, Border. I think uh, he certainly leads or Lippy leads that leads that attack. Yeah, the balance of the West Indies side is going to be completely different for this Test match. If Joshua De Silva comes in and someone like Raheem Cornwall comes in, we're looking at a completely different balance to the West Indies side. I really like Joshua De Silva as a cricketer. I think he's going to add a lot to that team. Not that Dowich doesn't add a lot to that team. Statistically, he's been their best batter over the last two years. But I think Joshua De Silva, young guy, averages 40 in first-class cricket. He's the only West Indian batsman in that touring party to average 40 in first-class cricket. There's a lot of expectation, therefore, on his shoulders to, to perform well. But, you know, Brathwaite's made runs, Bravo's made runs. These guys just need to stand up, put their big boy pants on and, and do the job for the West Indies. Stop talking about it and start doing it. And just I guess just before we leave this series, a couple of sort of umpiring things or not really... Uh, not really confined to this series, but you know we've had the uh, front foot no balls now being called by the umpires, and and that's that's we saw it in that test where I think three times we had a, a wicket, and then the guys walking off, and they say hold on, hold on, we're just checking the no ball. 
So there's that kind of thing. And then we've got, we had uh, the incident with the soft signal. And I was listening on the radio at that time and, and they were kind of, they were they were debating whether the umpires should even do a soft signal. What do you, what do you guys think? They were sort of saying, well, why can't the third umpire just make the call, you know? It's, it's, I know there are going to be certain situations where the third umpire just doesn't get the angle and maybe that's why, that to me that's the only reason why there is a soft signal but Raj I can see you brimming to say something. No I was having that conversation with the uh, busted horse actually on um, on the weekend and my when I first saw that catch the, the real busted horse or well, the, suspected the suspected busted horse. suspected busted horse um, the on first look I thought that that was not out mm. okay but when you look back at it and you go okay he took that catch what whatever the fact is that whatever the soft signal was that was what the decision was going to stay at. And, yeah. and I don't think that's right. Uh, look, I'll go a stage further. If the guys on the field are asking for some help, they don't know. So their gut instinct is actually, I don't want to say irrelevant, but but it is really. If you're, if, you're, if you're saying, I can't make a decision based on what's in front of me, I'd like you to look at it. The soft signal, I think, becomes an irrelevance for that third umpire if they've got a conclusive call or even a call that's you know better uh, than the one that's on the field obviously very very difficult to quantify but I think the minute you say nah I'm going upstairs then to an extent you're absolving your responsibility give it out on the field or go upstairs I don't mind what they do in rugby where they uh, kind of talk to each other. I think that would actually benefit things. I I 100% agree, and that was the point that I was going to make in terms of the the cricket umpiring, is that rugby referees, when they send the decision upstairs, they say to the third umpire, give me a reason why I cannot award this try, Mm -hmm. or can you you decide or can you, you know, a, a judge, try or no try? I don't have an opinion, try or no try. Or... Can you give me any reason why you can't award this try? Therefore, I, I think it's a try. Tell me why it, why it can't be. And I think that's the way that umpires should go too. Can I say one thing about that? In rugby, whether we like it or not, and whether we agree with the quality of it or not, you actually have professional or specialist TMOs. Um, in cricket, it's the guy that's got, um, I don't want to say this, it's a bit harsh, but it's the guy that's got the day off um, that's up in the, in the box and he's yep. making that call. I think we we have to go to the people that are most adept at using the technology, that are most comfortable with that, um, that almost have probably done the same work that some of the analysts have done and actually watched a number of those things and actually formed some, you know, some data on it and have a really, really good feel for it rather than it being an on-field umpire that's converted into this guy that's upstairs watching a TV screen as well. Should we have a bunker, Raj? Yeah, I was about to say, central, central. uh, We could have it here, the top order bunker. (laughs) As long as they don't bring scrums and scrum resets into the game, I'm I'm happy. uh... So that wraps up the New Zealand West Indies talk for now. We'll obviously be back next week with the next instalment in this test series. Back after the swish with talk of Australia and India. I tell you what, it's amazing what happens in between swishes. We were talking about room temperature power age during that break, but we are back now on the Top Order podcast. We're going to talk about the series going on just across the Tasman, Australia, India. So that tour match has just finished actually in a draw, and we're going obviously into the test matches pretty soon with Virat Kohli going to be missing for the final three tests of that series. But we've still got um, yeah a little bit to go on before then. Baldy, over to you. 
Yeah, lots going on. So India have found some form in the white ball series and now have won a couple on the bounce against Australia. Australia are being tested by injury, so lots of injuries and absences going on from the Australian unit and lots of concussion to talk about as well. There's plenty going on, but I just want to give credit to India for bouncing back against Australia in that in that white ball series. They got carted for the first two games and have found a bit of mojo with the ball put Australia under restri- under pressure and restricted them. Um, and we've just seen back-to-back 90s from Coley and their batting is all class. And my, my, Hardik Pandya, that guy can bat. And that just about wraps up this segment <laughs> of the podcast. Um, Raj, over to you. Let's talk about this uh, first concussion issue. So we've had a, con- a concussion substitute in the ODI series and a little bit of conjecture. Yeah, look, I when we talked about this, you know, probably start of this year, end of last year, we we're talking about the concussion rule. I said that I think there was there was room to to be a little bit dishonest, maybe, or to 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 manipulate. What, yeah, the system. So no, you did, mate. You're I, so modest about this as well. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually going to throw it to you guys, and I want to come over the top of your points. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's gonna, the thing is that. I guess it's highlighted is it's impossible to just have a like for like in cricket, right? You know, in, in so many different situations, you, you can go, okay, well, Jadeja is not going to be in the bowling side because he's got concussion. Okay. We'll bring in a spinner because, you know, we've got a spinner on the bench here in Chahal, but Chahal's a completely different bowler than Jadeja. They're, they're not the same. There is no like for like kind of player that can bring in. I mean that that's just on that level. I mean the the other level of this concussion is that he'd done his hamstring beforehand and potentially wasn't going to be able to bowl. And, and I think that's probably what Justin Langer was was so irate about uh, in in his friendly chat with David Boone there on the sideline. Yeah, it was a matter of time, I guess, before this kind of thing happened. And I, I think the bit that was missing was there wasn't that visible concussion check um, on the field. The protocol didn't get followed. Border, you've got your hand up, so you go. Yeah, so they, they actually did follow the protocol to an extent in that the protocol allows for a concussion check at the end of the over, and it was the last over of the innings, and he was checked in the innings break. So technically, the Indian team did follow the official protocol in that they had him checked at the conclusion of that over. But I think the optics of it look... not They don't look great in that he'd already done his hamstring, the rules around concussion protocol say likely roll. And you have to question from an, like even from an outsider's point of view, you have to question what likely role would Jadeja have played in that bowling innings, given that he'd already had a hamstring injury and he couldn't be replaced under that protocol. I've got no doubt that he was concussed. And that's quite evident from the fact that he's gone home as a result of that. But what role would he have played given that we know he had a hamstring injury and probably wouldn't have bowled. That, that's a very important distinction, that likely role rather than like for like, because, yeah, like for like is what they always talk about, but likely role likely is something role is very different. Likely role is what's written in the protocol, and that's the, that's the thing that the match referee needs to look at. So you guys have made all my points for me. First thing <laughs> I want to ask you, so if that happened in the 19th over and he didn't have a, a, a concussion check at the end of that over and then in the break said he was concussed, would you be okay with that? I have no problem with it because we know that delayed concussion is a thing and you don't want to mess around with head injuries. I actually have no problem at all with the fact that he was assessed in between innings. I think that was the right thing to do. And I think that as far as him being replaced, that's the right outcome. You, you know the two questions they asked him though, don't you? How many fingers am I holding up? How's your hamstring? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess from, from my point of view, there's a, there's a couple of points here. 
I think the the main thing is I'm not going to challenge the concussion. He was hit in the head. Absolutely, he's concussed. Not. I have no problem with that at all. My problem is, and, and Baldy's actually actually uh, usurped me here with the likely role. The fact is that Jadeja had pulled his hamstring, and I don't think that he would have fielded, let alone bowled. So that that's where that sort of subjective match referee's opinion comes into it, and I'm not sure if it's the right one. And the reason, because there is the subjectivity, it just opens up a whole can of worms. I actually wonder where whether the match referee had it in his pocket to be able to say, I will grant you a replacement, but that replacement can't bowl. I don't think he actually has it in his power to say, I will give you a concussion replacement because I have to, but they can't bowl. Like, like if he said he's concussed and he can be replaced, I don't think there's anything within his, like within his remit to say that this guy has a restriction placed on him. So this raises another point, right? So cricket is pretty much the only team sport in the world that doesn't have the ability. Um, save these ridiculous big bash rules of the, what's it called? <laughs> power Ranger. Oh, X Factor, yeah. The um, Green Power Ranger. He was the yeah. best one. So, um, and he plays for the Sydney Thunder, does he? Yeah. Uh, all the stars here. Yeah. Dark Green Sydney Thunder. Yeah. So, the, the issue I have here is we, we don't have this substitution rule. The reason that runners aren't in the game anymore is because that was abused. Um, let, you know, manipulated. Mani- oh, manipulated is a better word than abused. You, you're dead right. So, I, I think it does raise the point. Do we have this ability to actually substitute? We're talking about an elite game of sport here. I know injuries are part of it. I know that you've got to have that sort of element of chance. But to an extent, you've you've got to allow, I think, a bench of substitutes, particularly, I think, in the one-day game, just because it is such high-octane stuff. um, Because I think that's going to add, you know, interest to the game. So you think they should be... The, the problem is that just opens up another can of worms. Like, you, are you saying that they can only come in if someone is injured or are you just saying free reign, bring in someone whenever you want? Oh, look, I, I don't think we'll get, we've got time. It's certainly not on my run <laughs> sheet here. I don't want to go massively off-piste. But look, it does raise a point that... We are talking about an entertainment product. We are talking about the crowd being robbed of an opportunity to potentially see um, a superstar. I know we've criticised the X Factor rule because the X Factor players are normally in the side. But the the reality is when you're talking about this kind of international cricketing arena, if a Virat Kohli goes down and you, you you happen to have someone of the quality of, say, Rohit Sharma sitting on the bench or someone of that ilk, then, you know, that's an entertainment product. Um, similarly, you know, Jimmy Anderson going down in the first um, session of the Ashes, you know, is that really, you know, forget that it's an Ashes conversation, Bordy, but is, <laughs> it, it, is that really great for the spectacle of the game where you've got the pinnacle of, you know, the, the summer potentially and it's 11 against 10, 20 minutes into the game. It doesn't happen in other sports. You've got the ability to use a, a substitute, a replacement. I think part of cricket is also having that, I'm going to use the word fitness because it applies to a few people like Chris Gale, for example. Imagine he came in just to smash it at the start of the innings and and be subbed out. Brilliant. Sure. What about Raheem Cornwall comes in and he bowls the first four overs of the innings and then gets subbed off so they can have a good fielder and a good batsman. Yeah, he's took a he's a good fielder. Just put him at slip. Well, there's no slips in the 2020 game. <laughs> yeah. But my point is, like, why 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 should that not be part of it? That you can you know, be useful in all facets of the game. Well, yeah, you, you absolutely can be. And I think 
what what we're talking about here and you know we started this with um we started this with talking about obviously concussion and genuine injury so i think if you've got those doctors there and normally it's the team doctor of the home side that makes the call and we we, we don't discredit their um their judgment because they're the australian team doctor or the indian team doctor i i think you know we talked about this that you've got a match referee you've got a third umpire you've got a fourth umpire you would have the ability to bring in a neutral person if you wanted that was icc mandated for these type of things i think it's um should be brought in for injury and then see whether we can apply it across other things and that was the chat wasn't it that independent doctors should be making those assessments and if they are making those assessments and the player is ruled out for the remainder of that fixture then I think that's probably okay. I wouldn't mind seeing a compulsory stand down though. Like if you replace a player, they shouldn't be able to back up the next night and play. They should be stood down for a week or some other period of time to recover from the genuine injury that they have to avoid the situation where someone's, you know, gets a bit of cramp and then they go off and replaced by someone who's completely fresh. Look, we could we could debate this for for days like you said. Let's move back to the cricket now. I absolutely loved one that how excited that crowd was in australia it's um i mean i know we've had crowds here in new zealand and our crowds just don't compete compare with the level of excitement i mean we maybe we do when we're playing india and and that obviously has they have such great fans all around the world wherever they're playing that there's just such a great atmosphere i think what it showed me is as much as we talked about when cricket was going on without fans and how it was kind of, you know, oh, it's not losing that much. Boy, it was really, really awesome to see a, a tight game and crowd just going absolutely bananas. And then on the on continuing that, how pumped up in- India was when they won that second T20. I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. The third T20 is about to play shortly. But that, you know, that's now a dead rubber. But India was visibly really, really pumped. They were walking around. Kohli was, Kohli was when Hardik was smashing those sixes at the end, he was coming out to the balcony, fist pumping, cheering. They were all massive high fives and hugs after that game. Like this, they are up for this series. This means series. something, yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And the Indian team have found their mojo and that's really important for them going into the test series. It's important for world T20 world cup next year in terms of their preparation. I think that they are going to be much, much tougher now having found that nice little niche of form going into the test series than we thought, you know, a week ago when they had been giving a bit of a hiding in those first two um, one day games. Well, we'll talk, talk more about India in a sec leading into that test series. Should we focus a little bit on Australia? So will, Pukowski has been struck in the head today. So we've got another um, potential concussion issue. We won't go into the ramifications of substitutions and uh, get sidetracked again. I'm sorry, Stuart, um, <laughs> that I've gone off the run sheet. But what does that mean for the top order? Because Burns has missed out as well in this warm-up game as well. Yeah, Burns has missed out twice in this warm-up game and that puts him under a little bit of pressure. He talked about having found some form on the, on the north coast of uh, New South Wales leading into this game, but he's had two low scores. Bukowski, likewise. Marcus Harris has actually batted probably the he best of good. the three looked and looks good. really good. I like Marcus Harris. I think he was unlucky to get dropped when he did, and I think he's a good cricketer. Will Pukowski's concussion history is going to count against him. He had a lot of concussions as a footballer as a young man. This is not the first time he has suffered a head injury as a result of a blow to the head, unfortunately. So it will be very interesting to see from a health management point of view what happens with Will Pukowski. He's obviously prodigious talent, Um if he's fit, I think he will play. 
Um, but the question will now remain, is he going to be fit having um, had a look at his head, head injury history? When is the first test? First test is December 17, I believe, in Adelaide. So next Thursday. Yep. So that's December 17 to 22. Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say, just this is going off track again, uh, credit where it's due, Sky Sports played that uh, A game, which mm-hmm. was really good. They played the Pakistani one last season as well, so that was really good and it was good to be able to watch that. Mm. Uh, Pukowski... I actually really enjoyed his first innings. He didn't look like he was struggling. He did struggle to score, mm. but then even the shot he got out to, he looked like he was able to get off over the top of it, and it was a great, great, um, great catch. I think that he will play, but only if Warner is not available. They've said that Joe Burns is going to play, mm. so Warner and Burns are their preferred opening combination. Warner's not fit. The first year? I don't think Warner will be Warner's fit at this not. point. I don't think he'll play. No, he won't. I don't think he'll play in Adelaide. He might play in Melbourne, but I don't think he'll play in Adelaide. So it will be a question of which two of those three, Harris, Burns and Pekovsky, play in in Adelaide. If there is an injury to Pekovsky, I think Australia will look at someone like Wade. They'll look at someone like Labashain to go up the order because Cameron Green right now is the best of the lot. He scored a magnificent 100 in that warm-up game, looked completely comfortable, Bashed a pretty good Indian attack around the park while his team were crumbling around him. And there's not a lot of scores in that middle order. Payne at the back end. Michael Nisa made 33, ran himself out. Cameron Green is on a different class level to a lot of those guys at the moment. And for mine, he should be in that Australian side somewhere. And I know I said don't change your batting order, but my, oh my, you've got to find you've got to find room for him somewhere. Well, is he point. not just going to slot in, in the middle order? Like, is he not going to take a Matthew Wade or a Travis Head spot in the first place? I think you mean that you know you don't you weren't an advocate of moving a minus around. No, I wasn't. You're but, now saying, but holy shit, yeah. he's he's a, he's got to play. Absolutely yeah. has to play, even if even if Manus or Wade has to open the batting for Australia. And Ma- Matthew Wade opening the batting in the Test match not the worst idea in the world. Because um, he's kind of like for like for and David. The, the worst Aggressive. idea would be him keeping wicket. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lang- uh, Justin Langer has has addressed this, right? He has said that uh, Pukowski and Green won't play ahead of Burns and Head and Wade. Correct. Yeah, yeah, he has said that. I'm giving my opinion, and oh. my opinion is that I think Cameron Green is yeah. the best of those players, and he should play. I agree. Give 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 old uh, Justin a call. I'll give him a call. Uh, what about the Indian side? What did you see there? Rahani's a ready-made replacement for Virat Kohli as soon as he goes home. He's captain that Indian side well when he's had an opportunity to. He's beaten Australia as captain of that Indian team. He scored 100 in the warm-up game. And at number five, he's an incredible talent for India and he'll do a real good job in that test series. I don't know if you saw how Pajara has been getting out. They've been bowling that body line at him trying to get a... Sorry, I shouldn't use the word body line. That line at the body uh, to him uh, what, getting why caught. Why can't around. you say body line? Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a taboo word in the cricketing world. From an Australian perspective. Oh, just from a world game I don't care. You can say body line if you want. It, anyway, anyway um, so they're saying maybe they've found a way to get around him because he was the, the, the run machine in the last last uh, last test series in 2018. Mm. So he got 54, I think, in the first innings, but not so much in the second. Uh, the bowlers, they, they will need a bowler. It's looking like Umesh Yadav to me. He, he looked really good with the ball. Knocked and, the top off. Yep. Yeah, and... Uh, Ravi Ashwin bowling with a hat on—that's going to be exciting. Oh dear! In, uh, in, in, t- in Test match cricket, <laughs> who do we think? Who do we think opens the batting for India? So do we think Shaw or Gill have got that other spot? Uh, I think Sharma, and if Sharma's ready and and good to go, then I think it'll be Sharma and, and Agarwal, won't it? But 
it's certainly it's going to depend i mean they're talking a lot you know as i said we're recording this on a tuesday there is another warm-up game and and the, they're going to play the pink ball is that right so yeah. that's that's going to be the key and and you would think that india is going to play you know are, are they going to play their frontline lineup i would if i was india I wouldn't be mucking around and going, oh, well, we don't want to show our cards now. There's, there's some chat around, you know, will Boomer play? Will um, Shami, Shami play? Will Agarwal play? I would 100% just be getting my, my players' experience. Mm. It doesn't matter. It, all these all these guys have played each other so many times. They they know what each other's got, right? Is Shami going to be here for the first test? I don't think we know. So and, if, that's, yeah. and that's the challenge, right? Because if he's there, he plays. If he doesn't... This is a selection trial. Yeah, so one of these guys is going to Presumably, Sharma would need to be in country now if he's got to do 14 days. Because we're, we're talking about the 17th as the test match. We're recording this on the 8th. So um, has anyone seen him in Australia? I thought he was going to come after Coley left. That was the original plan. Right, right. But uh, so on, that, on, that, that doesn't do anything to no. uh, to settle down whether there's a feud or not. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to go down that, those lines. They, they might see each other is, in the Qantas lounge on the way through. Is this, is this a gossip show? <laughs> um, on that opening spot, I think that um, Prithvi Shaw is actually the one who is in, in position and Gil's going to have to take it off him and... He hasn't done anything to do that in this in this game. He hasn't, but boy, Prithvi Shaw is seriously out of form. I mean, I, IPL, I, I know it's completely different and completely different conditions, completely different kind of game, but he was pretty dreadful near the end runs of that IPL. Runs are runs, though, right? If you're making runs, you're making runs. It, the format doesn't really make that much difference if you can't make runs in one format it's not all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. going to magically change as soon as the as soon as the ball changes you know other than guys like martin guptal who seem to be dominant all the time in one area and can't perform as well in the other i don't think it makes a difference if prithvi shaw's out of form and shubman gill played well in the ipl mm. i think he's got the nod for me but the interesting thing with either of those two is i don't think they're going to play a traditional openers role they're going to go out there and have a go at it I and that's so going to be exciting to watch mm. it all. Well, certainly some bold selection chat in there. So um, Bordy's going to go against Justin Langer, who, you know, is, is Sir Justin Langer. Can't be too far away for him. Um, Raj is going with the non-incumbents in the, the side. And we always go with the incumbents, I thought, Raj. <laughs> so <laughs> we are just a table full of contradictions this evening. Only if your teams are winning every time. Um, have we got anything else we want to talk about on this Australia-India series before we head in? Um, to the end of the pod? No, I just think the one thing that I took away from an Australian point of view in that white ball series is that we've actually tested our depth and found that we have some options. They might not be our best options, but at least they've got some experience coming into the T20 World Cup in 2021. So that was a pleasing outcome for me. Um, other than that, it's been a little bit you know, up and down for Australia. But I do like the fact that Henriques came in and played well. Mm. Cam Green has got to go in the Australian jersey like Conway did for New Zealand and has proven himself that he belongs at that level. And so I take positives out of that, even though guys like Mitchell Stark you know, took a bit of tap and, and some players have been in and out of the squad. And, and India, on that, on that front, India should be really pleased with what Natarajan's coming and done. He's, he's excellent. Yeah, yep. he's, he's come in and looked really, you know, quality at that level. And, um, you know, I, heard, I think I heard some stat about how he bowled the most uh, Yorkers in the IPL by an absolute country mile or something like that. And, and he's come in and just looked the part. So I think they can be really pleased with, with what they've got to offer there. I think if anyone uh, hasn't, gone back and watched the highlights of that uh, second uh, T20, they should 
go back and just look particularly for uh, Rod Tucker's uh, when he sent it upstairs uh, for the uh, review. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really replicate how uh, how well it was here, but Steve Smith was hit in a, a very uncomfortable, uncomfortable position, position. Yep. and uh, and Rod Tucker's uh, commentary of the situation was superb. Awesome. Well, look, that's a great place to leave the podcast. <laughs> Please do make sure you dip back into our back catalogue, although we've got heaps and heaps of cricket coming up with the conclusion of this white ball series. We've got obviously the test series taking place in Australia as well. And then the big bash coming up. So if you've got some comments on our Facebook or Instagram pages about what you'd like to see us cover throughout this summer of cricket, um, both sides of the Tasman, please do write in and let us know. But for now, I think we've done as many swishes as we can and we're (laughs) going to leave the Top Order podcast for this evening. Good night. God bless. Thanks for tuning in.